This is the One Soldier Podcast, episode 14, with me, Russell Hillier. Think you have what it takes to be a soldier in the French Foreign Legion? I think everyone who has worn the uniform of their country has at least thought about it or entertained the idea. There's no military unit shrouded in so much legend, myth, and even notoriety as the Legion. But a new book by Joel Struthers called Appel, a Canadian in the French Foreign Legion, cuts through a lot of the many misconceptions by giving a clear, no BS account of what it's like to wear the uniform of this storied military unit. In today's podcast, Joel joined me from his home in BC to talk about the Legion, the training, the missions, and his book, Appel, a Canadian in the French Foreign Legion. I hope you enjoy. I didn't realize that uh, you, you've actually talked to my brother before because I was talking to my brother Dylan this morning and I said, hey, I'm doing this podcast this afternoon uh, with a guy who was in the French Foreign Legion and he was like, oh, did he, does he live in BC? I said, yeah. He said, did he write a book? I said, yeah. He's like, oh, okay. Well, I, was, I, was, I guess he messaged you about uh, the French Foreign Legion probably a while ago. But, okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Anyways, man, I've been reading your book, Appel, a Canadian yep. in the French Foreign Legion and it's a fantastic book. Really, really like it. Really enjoy it. I like how it's so down to earth and it's, there's no BS. It's just, this is, this is the life of, of a legionnaire. Yeah. And so I love what you've done with it. I appreciate and, that. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, there's not many yeah. books like it out there. Is there? No. Um, no, there, uh, I mean, that was a big part in the reasoning behind writing the book. That's obviously not something that I was ever thinking about doing, um, but there was a lack of positive portrayals out there on legionnaires. You know, unfortunately, as I mentioned in the book, a lot of the information out there or narratives come from guys that are either talking, excuse my French, bullshit, or they've deserted and then they're just trying to support their narrative for quitting, right? Um, the, the big book that's out there is obviously Simon Murray's book, Legionnaire, which depicts his time uh, when he was in the regiment during the Franco-Algerian War. Uh, there's been a couple books out, but um, since, you know, a couple of deserters, a couple, you know, non-deserters, but nothing ever really kind of made it, made a mark, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just felt, well, maybe because I had the opportunity, I was lucky in my, in my service and time, I was able to get obviously to the GCP, which is kind of, you know, the top of the, the food chain, if you want a soldier in the Legion. And um, yeah, I thought, you know, well, maybe, maybe it was on me to write, write a story. Um, and yeah, that's, that was the, the reasoning behind the book. Why is it that deserters have been the ones to sort of like frame the narrative on this? Like what, what, what is going on with that? That's a, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, could it be that the publishers, when they read their manuscript, it's obviously 90% BS. So they, they, they don't know the truth. Right. Um, so maybe they just, they find it more more attractive, more interesting, and then as a result, it's published. Um, whereas Appel is different in that, obviously, I'm not a deserter in it, and it's all factual, but two of the, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but two of the prerequisites for me was that the Legion would approve of the narrative, uh, which they did. So I submitted the manuscript, and they they had no issue with it. Um, so mean they, they just read? have some like PR guys who are, who are looking at it and... You know, I don't know. Um, I wrote a letter, a nice cover letter to the, the general that commands the, uh, the Legion in Obang, which is their headquarters. And uh, 
this was through, I have a friend um, who was in the book, uh, Corporal Dimitri. If you, yeah, he is, he is now, in fact, we just interviewed him the other day on our podcast. Um, he is now a Lieutenant and in charge of recruitment for the Legion. Um, so all through the process of when I was writing the book and such, I would reach out to Dimitri and ask for, you know, certain information and then how I should go about getting the Legion's approval or inform them, not necessarily the approval, but inform them that that's, this is what I'm doing and it's a positive portrayal. So yeah, his suggestion was write this cover letter, send the manuscript in. And uh, yeah, they never, they never actually commented, but they never said no, which right. in itself was an approval, but they did provide uh, pictures and then, as you noted in the book, my uh, captain in the GCP, who's still serving, he's a, a colonel in the, uh, in the Legion at this time, um, he wrote the Ford. So that in itself was a, you know, it, it gave yeah. it its um, sort of a stamp. Legitimacy, of legitimacy, yeah. And then um, the second one was that it would be published by a, you know, a somewhat reputable publisher, which would mean that it was, the story was sound, right? Um, yeah. So Wilfred Laurier was interested and, uh, yeah, worked with them for, a chunk of time. And yeah, so that kind of checked the two boxes. Cool. Well, I wanted to get into that because uh, listeners on this podcast know that like one of my uh, beefs or like, well, really it's a complaint really is that we don't really do a great job in this country of telling the military stories that are out there. I mean, if you go to America, the, the bookshelves are just like chock full of, you know, yep. book, military memoirs. Yep. There's new books coming out all the time in Canada. Yep we could probably count on like one hand, maybe two hands, the, the military memoir books that are out there because the publishers, they, they, it's like, they don't want anything to do with it most of the time. I mean, you're an exception. I'm an exception, yeah. Yeah. but uh, did, did you have a, a hard time like trying to like knock on doors and, and get this out there? Again? No, I was lucky. Um, I think I go through life a lot of times being naive and sometimes that <laughs> opens up doors. Cause you know, everyone's telling, you no all the time, but if you don't know, you just, you try anyway. Uh, I was fortunate enough that one of my father's friends from his Air Force days, um, Dave Bashaw, flew 104s, went on to write a book himself, a couple books actually, but one in particular about the uh, fighter, Canadian fire pilots during the Second World War. Uh, he is the current, um, what's the word? Uh, he's, he, he runs or does the, the publication of the Canadian Military Journal. So he's the chief editor. That's the word I was looking for. And he had heard through my father that I was working on a manuscript. So he asked my dad if, you know, would you mind if I read it? So I had no issue with that because I was, during the process, I had numerous people read it and provide feedback. And the idea was that I would get a whole bunch of different backgrounds, people with different interests, knowledge, and then they could provide me feedback on what was interesting, what was lacking, what they'd like to know more about. The idea being that the book would, you know, suitable to to any type of reader you know that and uh so he read it and he said listen joel i think you might you have something here do you mind if i show it to my publisher the original his publisher was interested but they only did um the name they only do 12 books a year or something they said you know this doesn't really suit our our publishing but we would pass it on to wilford laurie and then wilford laurie was so yeah, yeah so I, again i was lucky i had no idea you know apparently it's impossible to get we, we were the same way, actually like with one soldier we we got like a literary agent um, and uh, she passed it on to Harper Collins. And like, so we got a deal set really quickly, but nice. yeah. uh, man, oh man, like it's uh, totally, totally lucked out on that one. If yeah. we were to do it again. And of course the only reason we were successful is because Dylan had his like 15 minutes of fame. And, yeah. but you know, sometimes you got to like knock on the doors and something good will happen. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because as soon as when I got the book, that's 
typically, I don't know if other people do this, but the first thing you do is you look at who published this, you know, yeah. and it kind of give it kind of gives you a quick gauge on whether or not it's legit or it's totally you know, because there is a lot of bullshit posted out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially yeah. nowadays when you can self-publish anything. That's definitely something I didn't want to. It just yeah. yeah, for whatever it is, I just wanted to make sure that it, it had some sort of legit backing anyway. Yeah, totally. And and the cool thing about your book is there are th- tens of thousands of people every year, young men who the thought crosses their mind or you know, they entertain the idea of joining the French Foreign Legion and for all those people who want to get information about what it's like, well, your book is sort of like stop number 1. True, yeah. No, that's, you know, valid. Uh it, it however, it it has come a long way. I mean, certainly that was 20 years ago, right? So my my book is period. It's changed a lot since. But the Legion, today's Legion has a website. They have Instagram. They have Twitter. The, all the information is there for a young man that's interested in that. They can, they can reach out and get the information that they want, you know. I had actually, you know, sorry not to cut you up, but I had a mother reach out to me uh, somewhat, you know, after its release saying that her son was interested in joining and she had gotten the book and it was, there wasn't really a lot of information out there. So right away that meant my, you know, my book was somewhat a success to me because it was something that I didn't really have when I was interested in the Legion, you know, there totally. was Legionnaires. So yeah, no, I, uh, I appreciate that. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think that's, uh, if you put yourselves in the shoes of a guy who's like maybe interested in it, then your, your book yeah. is going to come up. So that's, and you have a, an opportunity, I think to, you know, not put all the filters on, on it. Like you're, you're sure, giving yeah. them the, the real deal of what it's like. So that's really cool. Yeah. And that being, uh, that being said, you know, whatever the word count was 60,000, it's pretty tough to portray, you know, six years, but I, I do try to throw it in there. You know, there's a lot of down boredom. You are somewhat, you know, incarcerated. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's not, you know, it's not all glory and uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully that comes across. I tried, that was a big attempt was kind of try to show all the, the different sides to it. You know, the, the positives right. and the negatives. Yeah. Which well, I think is important, you know? Um, totally. One of the things I wanted to get into with you is, uh, well, first of all, there's probably no other military unit in the entire world that has the same uh, mystique and lore and maybe even notoriety as the French Foreign Legion. You know, I, I would wager that every single young man who has, you know, thought about joining the army or who has even worn a uniform, the idea has probably passed their mind that, uh, hey, maybe I should join the French Foreign Legion instead of uh, my own country's uh, yeah. army. No, yeah. No, you're right. Um, it does. What I really like in the book is how you were already a member of the Canadian Forces. Like you were, you did the basic training with, uh, I think you were in a reserve unit. Yep. That's correct, yeah. How is that different than, did that prepare you at all for the French Foreign Legion? Or was it just so different that there's not a lot of like connection there? Uh, well, it's very different, but it's certainly, yeah. I was a, um, a reservist with the, um, the regiment in the New Westminster, um, the Royal Westminster Regiment, which is a, you know, was attached to the PPCLI. And I'd done my basic and I was doing my battle school in Wainwright. And uh, this was, you know, early 90s when kind of unfortunately the Canadian military was, was having a rough time. And Going reg force wasn't an option. Your only option is really to serve in, in the reserves. And when the reg force spots came up for infantry, anyway, you could you'd be you know top of the list to get in. Um, and uh, no, the training was was excellent, and it, it certainly prepared me. Well, what it did it showed me that I enjoyed the the lifestyle of a soldier. I liked the discipline. I liked the attention. I liked the lifestyle. You know, I liked the athletic side to it. The shooting, you know, just everything kind of 
felt natural to me. And that, you know, that also came from growing up on Canadian military bases. Cause obviously my father was in right. the air force. Both grandparents were, were in the army. Um, so it prepared me in that way as in it showed me that that's perhaps something I want to do for a chunk of my life. Now, fast forward, you're in the Legion, their system, their training methods and how they go about do things is somewhat different from the Canadian military. Um, albeit, you know, um, different, but it's, it's sound and proven for what they do and what they need. Um, so it, uh, yeah, if anything, it just didn't long story short, it wasn't quite a sh as a shock to the system. So I kind of had an idea of what I was getting into, but then yeah, experiencing it's, the French way was different. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like it's yeah. to yeah. be blunt, like it's just, it's more hardcore for sure. Yeah. The discipline, the Canadian military at the time for me was just very I mean, this was 92, 93, was very politically correct. You know, I mean, and whatever, I'm not, you know, it's not my place to comment or stuff. And I found the, the battle school challenging, but it wasn't um, hard. I don't know if that's the word. It's, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get myself saying the wrong thing because I have total respect for the game military and, you know, people do what they do. Um, but, but at the same time, later like on experiencing the Legion way of things. Yeah. It's a whole other ball and it's, it's a whole other ball game predominantly because of it, the mental side of things. I mean, the discipline is there, which is, which has since changed, you know, they're not quite as, they're not, they don't have the same harsh discipline anymore. It's just not, it's not, you know, for this, for this world, but it had its place. And I, you know, my background, I didn't have any issues with getting, you know, a bit of, if I deserved a good slap across the face, I got early, as you know, to headbutt, yeah. whatever, you know, it was, I deserved it. So I could deal with it. And I think, you know, the, the idea is if you can't deal with that, well, what are you going to do in tough situation in combat? You know, um, it's, it's the one part of the book that I could sort of relate to. Like I, I think back to basic training and, you know, in my mind, it's basic training is like a giant psychological mind yeah. fuck really. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's not, it's not necessarily the physical, it's the psychological aspect exactly. too, because yeah. all the things that you think you know about in the world, like how society operates and how people interact and the norms and the customs, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. all out the window. Yeah. hundred percent. And you, and you know that, you know, like you're doing your battle school, you know, you're going home in three weeks or four weeks or whatever. Whereas you're doing your basic in, in the French foreign legion, you know that you got five months of hard or sorry, four months of hard four months ahead of you. And then you have another four and three quarter years right. That you're serving and the odds of you going home in the first year and a half are slim to nil. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mental challenge, right? Because then you've been sentenced to five, not sentenced, but that it's somewhat yeah. similar to, you got five years of hard time, you know? So it's kind of, if you want to be there and that's what you want to do, that's great. But for the individual that's joined for the wrong reasons, perhaps that can be a, a huge factor on there. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a country far from home and it's the language yeah. maybe you're not familiar oh, yeah. with. Like it just, exactly, all yeah. no, it's, uh, it's not, uh, it's not for everyone. That's for sure. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough, a tough go. Was there a point in the training where you you sort of you think to yourself like okay I've I've done the shitty stuff and now maybe I'm I'm being looked at as more of like a soldier like maybe you're given like a little bit more freedom and maybe you're getting your hands on some weaponry uh, like was there like a certain point where it sort of clicked like yeah I'm I'm gonna like get through this and I, I'm one of the team now um, yeah well I think early on in basic training especially at the farm that first month you can really tell where you stand within the group um you know be it on the physical side of things soldiering language knowledge just being whether or not you're switched on or you're the one that's getting called out all the time for doing stupid things you know so early on you can kind of see whether or not this is for you and you you fit in 
Um, and then once you get to your regiment and your combat company and your section, same thing, you know, if you're, you're towing your weight, towing the line, soldiering, not sticking out for the wrong reasons, you can, yeah, you just say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm able to do this. And then you start to, you know, either excel or start to fall behind. And then depending on the individual, then you make your choices from there. Right. And like most things in life, if you excel and put in the time and effort, better opportunities will come to you with that. Um, so yeah, in my case, I was, I was lucky, you know, and I was fortunate in that I wanted to be there. I wanted a soldier. And as a result, uh, you know, I, I had those opportunities come to me. Which were- well, I like in the book how uh, there, people are sort of like dropping off like flies on the training course and, and you're, you sort of make the point of saying, well, what did you expect? Like, what did you think yeah. this is going to be like? But the question I had is why were these guys deserting? Like, why were they jumping, you know, through like, off a wall at night to get away. Like, could you not just like go turn yourself in and say, Hey, I'm done. In this day and age. Yeah, you could. Um, at the end of basic training, which is, as mentioned earlier, was a four month period. You do have the option to call it quits and go home. Um, now the individuals that deserted early on in, in, in Appel, um, you know, again, I have no idea why they, they were there, why they join. Obviously. I mean, the first ones were like 24 hours with him. When we got to the, the training regimen, yeah. you know, um, as I think as you're referencing, uh, yeah, who knows strange and, you know, like, you know, what, what were you thinking? What are you, what are you doing? You know? Um, yeah, totally. but yeah, so I think it just comes down to the individual, but then same thing too, you're doing the Legion and you're the other members of the section a favor, right? If you don't want to be there, you're just going to make their, everyone else's lives tougher. So, um, yeah, it's something that's always been there. It's still a part. At least yeah. not, not as much anymore, but uh, yeah, it's just a way of weeding out the, the weak, I guess would be the word. Whenever, uh, as I'm reading the book, uh, you, you get sent on deployment to, I think, the Central African Republic. That's correct. Yeah. And that sort of fits like the narrative of the Legion. Like whenever, I think in Canada, we don't hear a lot about it, but whenever we do, whenever the Legion is on the news, they're, you know, inevitably it's like some weird country in Africa that nobody's ever heard of before. Yep. So what's uh when you went to that uh central african republic what was the the goal of that mission like what's why why the legion um well first of all the republic of central africa was a french colony before their independence um but france has always been there to support and assist and they obviously have interest in some of the you know natural resources and stuff going on and then a presence in that in that continent so they have a base there um there's french as are there other multinational companies working in, in Central Africa. Um, but it's, it's prone to unrest and civil war, tribal differences, and uh, it seems to rear its ugly head quite a bit. So in the French military, um, regiments will do tours. So it's just every three months, one regiment will be in Central Africa doing a tour uh, as an example. Um, in this particular case, so this was Al Madden II in 1996. Uh, it was basically a coup within the military. Um, and, you know, half the military that was no longer happy with the president's efforts or, or what might have you. And that's the thing is I'm there as young soldiers. So the pl- politics and such I'm not, is not, you know, I'm not privy to or really care about. I'm just trying to do my job and learn and not. Because, as you know, I, I get sent there as a to help out the section. So I get... I do selection for the GCP, which is like the pathfinders of the airborne regiment. 
I've, you have to be a minimal corporal. So they send me, I, I do selection, I pass, I do my corporal's course, and they're in Bungie at that time, and they're short a guy. So I get sent there just to, to fill a gap. But I'm not, I haven't done my commando course, my free fall course. I'm not a certified GCP team or a commando at that point. So anyway, so I'm there kind of thrown into the, into the mix, and I'm just trying to toe the line, watch the guys, and not screw up. So I'm not really thinking or worrying about the, the political side of things, you know. But basically, yeah, I was a coup. The rebels held half the city, and then the pro-government forces held the other half. And then there was an incident where there was a French delegation, uh, military officers and NCOs that were talking to the uh, the non-government side of the military, the, the mutants, they called them. And two of the French military um, officers were shot and killed. So then at that point, the French had enough, and they the decision made, was made to, to assist the government and then clear the rest of the city of the rebels. So... Um, you know, what goes on in the background, the reasonings and some of the the more in-depth stuff, I would have no idea. That's not way above yeah. my pay, way above my pay grade, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there must be like some kind of like yeah. responsibility felt like these are all like former French colonies. So yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, and yeah, and that's, that is, you know, colonization at the end of the day is, you know, they don't, they just don't give independence and then leave. Typically it's, it's not that easy. So, um, and then over the years, a lot of these countries will ask that they remain, you know, because they need that, that assistance, that, that help, because obviously, you know, Africa has its issues. So they're, they, you know, they might have their issues with their, their neighboring country and the, the military support, knowledge, training, all that kind of stuff is, is important. And I know, for example, that a lot of the countries like the French com, com, or a company or country, sorry, that the French have, um, they will allow their young military personnel and soldiers to go to France to do training and then get you know, the appropriate training and come back to their own militaries, you know? So there's, there's a lot of support across all the different avenues. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. gotta be a bit of a stabilizing force just to have, uh, you know, those boots on the ground and, and then the infrastructure yeah. there. hundred percent. And you know, at the end of the day, our, our, the main role of the military there is to, it's, they're not there as a, you know, um, what would the word be like to put the pressure on anything. It's more so to protect the French interests, stability, but also, as a result of, you know, it, it, things do rear its, as I mentioned, rear its ugly head in these parts all the time. There's a large amount of expat personnel living in the country, working there, right? So they would, the French, the military in this case, they're there to ensure that if, if needed, they can get these people out of the country safely or protect the different interests, the embassies, certain, certain areas that are, you know, so, and from my experience, everything was, you know, we, I had, I was never asked or did anything that I was uncomfortable with, you know, and, and I, I hadn't, you know, as I mentioned in the book, I wasn't joining the Legion to, you know, to do anything but to soldier. And that's what we were asked to do. And it was all up, up in the up. I have the, you know, as a result of my time, as I mentioned, look, I have the utmost respect for, for France and certainly the Legion and uh, definitely the rep, you know, from my, my experiences. Yeah. Well, that, that comes yeah. through pretty, uh, pretty clear. Like, and, and that's one of the, I think one of the, like the stereotypes that, maybe like average people have of the French foreign legion is that it's like mercenaries who don't really oh, care. Exactly. And that must piss you exactly. off a lot. It does. And that was a huge, as you know, I mentioned that, that was a huge part of the effort and that's, you know, at the beginning, it's a subject matter that I, I avoid, but if it comes up, generally the reaction of the comments that comes from a person that, you know, here's this, I spent six years in the, uh, the airborne French foreign legion. They, Typically, they'll come up with some sort of bone statement, you know, like, oh, I thought, you know, rapists and murders that or murder, you know what I mean? Merc oh, you're a mercenary. And I, how do you explain the Legion today 
it's a, it's a professional part of the French military. How do you explain that in a short conversation? And I, and I don't, right? So I just don't bring it up. Yeah. But yeah, over time, I was like, you know what? And that's all part of the same reason. I need to put something out there that's a proper account, facts. And then if people want to know and they're interested, there's something there that kind of tells you the truth. Um, yeah, right. Well, because if, if not, so I just, much, yeah. I there's so much myth out there that uh, yeah. that's, I think that's really, you know, a cool yeah. part of the book is that it's like sort of shining a light on some things and, uh, you know, dispelling some of the the myths because I mean, there's, yeah. so, there's so many that are attached to the French foreign legion. Yeah. But, 100%. And I still see it today. I get, you know, obviously with, with the book and everything else I'm doing, I, you know, social media is a huge part of it. And sometimes I run into statements and comments that I just, I just shake my head. and was like, well, you know what? Yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. Social media is like the absolute worst place for yeah, uh, enough. any kind of like uh, intelligent discussion. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I was interested in the book, how you, uh, there's a few moments that really caught my attention. And the first moment is when you're, you're in, uh, you're on that deployment and you come across a, like you take prisoner, one of these rebels. Yeah. yeah. And uh, basically the, the message being sent to you is why do you take this guy prisoner? Yeah. Where, where I was going with that is, and just to you know, give the listeners at home like a bit of a rundown of what happens next. I think you find this prisoner's body like in the elephant grass somewhere a couple of days later because of the police. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So they were. It was the you know the the mutineers or whatever, the non-government, pro-government uh, army that were pillaging a government official's house as they were doing, and we were called there to uh, to deal with it. And when we got there, they were in the house. We were approaching, and then there was a, a firefight from the guys and the bad guys in the house and us on the outside. And then things calmed down and we were in like a, you know, a, a, a perimeter. We had our little perimeter set up trying to assess what was happening. And uh, as my night, cause we had night vision originally and then the lights were turned on the floodlights around the house and stuff. And we lost our, our night vision. Now I, I had my little arc of fire, which was basically elephant grass and trees. And then as my sight came back, I noticed movement in the, uh, the tall grass beside this tree. And, uh, my concern was, you know, am I seeing what I'm seeing or is that one of my teammates? Because everything was sporadic and confusing. And, you know, that was my first first firefight. And um, and, in, and then I, I come to find out that it was it is a mutant, uh, you know, a desert or not a desert, but part of the uh, non-government forces. And uh, he's basically kneeling beside a tree with his AK in his hand. And he's just either scared or whatever, but he's frozen. He's not doing anything. So I come up and from the back and then control him and then i call my captain over and he comes and you know we basically take him take him prisoner but the way i went about it was probably not quite as aggressive as i could have been um and that was a fair a fair you know debrief that i was given on my methods but uh you know in the end the result was the same but uh you know i wasn't given i wasn't given grief for taking him prisoner. I was just more so given question on how I went about doing so. Um, but yeah, that's for right. people to, to read and uh, yeah. figure out, figure out well, themselves. But yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that, yeah, that sort of sets the tone, I think, for the rest of the mission. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a huge learning curve. I mean, that's here I am, you know, a boy from Vancouver. First, you know, first, not even two years in Legion, and then, you know, firefight. My second night in Central Africa, Bungie, the capital. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, yeah, bit of a, a learning curve and culture shock and everything, you know, just being new, new to the team, trying to tow your line because they don't know me that well and I'm not really supposed to be there. So it was a, yeah, it was a lot going on. What's fascinating to me is uh, the comparison between 
your uh, mission in Africa and your rules of engagement compared to what Canadian soldiers were doing at the same time in yeah. Bosnia. Yeah. Uh, th- there's sure. a guy that, uh, that I know, his name's Scott Casey. He has a book out as well. It's called Ghost Keepers. It's about the Canadians in Bosnia. He okay. lives in BC as well. Okay. And uh, the rules of engagement that these guys were, were handicapped with, the enemy, ha- they could not return fire unless like, yeah. they were like, being like, actually fired upon directly. That was the UN though, right? They were supporting... They're a UN mission. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. unfortunately, that's just in itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's problematic. Um, yeah. Well, that's not it a, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, like when, when you like talk to some of these guys, uh, it's very clear that uh, that just takes a mental, the, the toll on your mental health is incredible. Oh. As you're in this situation, you can't do anything. Yeah. The Meduck pocket. Um, I, was, I was invited to the uh, senior NCO dinner at my old uh, reserve regiment, the Westies, uh, last year. And uh, there was quite a few gentlemen there that would have been at the Medoc pocket. And uh, yeah, they all, you know, were suffered the, the consequences, you know, they, the things they saw and had to deal with, you know, was, yeah, you wouldn't ask anyone to do that, but yeah, it's sad. Um, and that's wrong. You know, that's that you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that to people, but whatever, again, that's above my pay grade. Right. But obviously, but obviously the, the results are, are clear. People suffered. I usually don't do intermissions in this podcast, but on account of some technical difficulties, this is a good place to take a very quick pause and first of all, just say thank you for listening. The last couple months has seen a significant uptick in the number of downloads, which is awesome. Secondly, I want you to check out Joel's website at www.legionengineer.com for some really rad apparel, the profits of which are donated to PTSD awareness. Okay, for the second part of the podcast, I'm asking Joel about his advance through the ranks of the Legion all the way to the Legion's elite para-regiment. We're also going to talk about the writing process and the lessons from the Legion that can be applied to the civilian world. Here's part two of my interview with Joel Struthers of the French Foreign Legion. All right, I think we're back. Okay, man. that That's technical difficulties on my end. My uh, internet crapped out, so. Anyways, I get it. It's yeah. uh, it's challenging. It's uh, it's nice when it happens to someone else. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, because you have your own podcast, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's exactly. uh, it's uh, I think I coined it. It's uh, well, we use Skype, so it's uh, Skype connectivity anxiety. It's something that um, I'm definitely yeah. uh, noticing is a is a factor. <laughs> well, man, anyway, I, I think good. I've I've made every mistake in the book uh, since starting right. this podcast. So I think that's uh, that's how it gets done. It's all good. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well. Let's, uh, I forget where we left off, but it was, uh, I think we were somewhere in Africa. Yeah, Bungie. Um, yeah, just, you were talking about the, uh, taking the prisoner there. That was kind of where it started. Yeah, kind of- yeah, yeah. And, and the other, uh, the other connection I, I was like going to ask you about is, are you familiar with Robert Semrau? No. So he was a Canadian captain in Afghanistan. And uh, I think this is back in 2010. So he's yeah. leading like a, uh, a mentorship team of like a small like squad of Canadian soldiers and then like an Afghan platoon. And what ended up happening is uh, he, uh, there was a gunfight with the Taliban. Yeah. I, I, I know the story. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. And so yeah. he was uh, allegedly, you know, allegedly mercy killed a Taliban fighter. Yeah. And I've yeah. talked to Rob. He's an awesome guy. Okay. Uh, he was uh, for, mer- for allegedly mercy killing the Taliban. He was uh basically like well he had the threat of a 25-year jail sentence over his head 
Jesus. But it's it's like it just goes back to like the uh, the rules of engagement. How you know I I can't imagine being a soldier in this modern era and just ha- it's like you have the weight of the yep. the world on your on your shoulders because if you if you mess up yeah exactly um, and in this four hour yeah. news cycle I mean man you're just like a lamb to slaughter. That's right. You're not only worrying about getting yourself killed, you're worried about screwing up and then spending the rest of your life in prison. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and then for no money, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> your, yeah. Your country, your country sends you over there for less than minimum wage and then, uh, yeah, nothing but rules and the risk of, uh, death or internment. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do, I, yeah, I'm familiar with the story and, uh, yeah, it was when that first came out, I, re- I recall it was, uh, it was hard to swallow and I felt that must not have been fun for him to go through that for just himself as a soldier, professional, a man, and then for his family too. But I'm glad it. Uh, yeah, it all it all. Well, I shouldn't say it all worked out for him, but uh, he, yeah, he's, he's not, not in jail. jail. So I mean, yeah. I guess uh, there's a silver lining there. Yeah. But uh, one of my misconceptions of the French Foreign Legion was that it's like a single regiment. But I think the right way to look at it is it's more of like a brigade. So you've got different regiments and units, and a para. You've got a para regiment as well, that's and that's what you, exactly. you ended up in, right? Yep, exactly. So in the French uh, Fair Brigade, um, there's nine regiments. One of them is the Legion Airborne Regiment, the rep, the second rep, uh, based in Calvi, Corsica. And uh, you're, and we had mentioned earlier on about the tours in Africa and different stuff, you know, Afghanistan, Mali, whatever now. So they're part of the, the same efforts. And then each Airborne Regiment in the French military has a, uh, a GCP team, one or two actually, and they are, they work on, on two different fronts. They are the pathfinders for the regiment, but then collectively they are the GCP group and they support the French Special Operations Command. So you can be tasked to support your regiment, wherever that may be as, as pathfinders, or you would work separately as the group supporting the COS, which is the, the French SF, SF side of things. So um, I had a mix of that in my career. You know, obviously Bungie was, we were supporting the regiment and then... Uh, Chad the same, and then my timing the Brazzaville Congo was for the for the group. Um, so yeah, so I did selection, got into the GCP, and then um, yeah, and we were you know it's a small ten man Halo insertion team, and we were a lot minimum rank was was corporal, but it was a lot of sergeants, uh, you know, two officers. We had it a lot easier than your average legionnaire in a combat company. I spent ten months in the first company at the rep, and so I kind of saw the life. And I was fortunate enough, you know, to get through selection and get, and get taken on. Um, but life was a lot better for us. You know, it was a small integral group. The, uh, we worked together, the ranks weren't really quite as an issue. You know what I mean? It's very, in a combat yeah. company, it's very, you know, you're the divide and, uh, and then, yeah, we were just basically, you know, working and not really getting screwed around too, too much. So again, I was fortunate that I had, I had an easy, an easy career if, if that makes well, and that was your intention from the get-go, right? It was to, you yeah. wanted to, you wanted to be part of this airborne regiment. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That was the only reason. Yeah. I wanted, that's what I wanted to do to get in the Canadian military and, and jump. And, you know, that wasn't going to be an option for me as we know why with history. Um, right. And then when you're young, you're, you're also impatient, you know, sitting around when you're 21 waiting is just not an option. I'd actually looked into the American military too, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So yeah, that was the only reason I went to France was to get to the rep and, uh, yeah, fortunate enough, things came to fruition, and I had a I had a good experience, and spent six years. But um, you know, it was a different it was a different period of time. You know, there wasn't a ton going on. Um, 
And at the age of 29, it was kind of a time to make a decision for myself whether or not I would stay, go NCO, and you have to do 15 years to get a, um, a pension. And uh, yeah, I had visions of, of flying helicopters and uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to go home back to Canada. And that's the thing, I was, I was always Canadian. Canada is always home. There's no reason why I didn't leave Canada because, you know, for, for any reason, it was just I wanted to, to go and soldier. So I always kind of felt like this was just a, a stop in life to soldier, but I'm not French. I didn't plan on making France my home. I was always going to go home at some point. So yeah, at the age of 29, just short of 30, I went, I went back to Canada and uh, yeah, started flying helicopters commercially and some other stuff. And yeah, yeah. there you go. So Took the lessons years. learned and yeah, used them to. to well, yeah. Head. I mean, it's uh, th- that's you're, you're 30 years old and like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta like yeah. look at the long game. Like, what do I, exactly. what do yeah, I want to yeah. do? Like it, and of course, if you want to have a family, uh, Legion, probably not the, not the best place for that. No, exactly. Now, that being said, if, you know, if we had been busy, if Afghanistan was kicking off and Mali and we were busy and, you know, I was enjoying the job, then it would be a different situation. But then also you got to be careful what you wish for. You know, I might, you know, that might have been a rough go and I would have yeah, suffered, sure. you know, the consequences that are or worse, you know. Um, so everything happens for a reason. So, I, you know, I look back on it with um, fondness. Uh, it's a, it's a happy memory. And, uh, you know, I haven't, I have certainly no regrets. Would I tell my son to go join the Legion to go to the rep? I don't, I don't know. But uh, for me, it, it worked, you know, I needed that kind of change well, in life. That, that's an interesting question because you, you just know that your kid, when he's, uh, when he's older, he's, or maybe even now, he's going to be asking you about your time in the Legion. And uh, that's like, you're going to have to give some fatherly advice at that point about well, he's got a book he can read. He yeah, can... <laughs> well... <laughs> yeah. The audio or the audio book comes out next month, so it'll be a little bit easier for them. But at this point, yeah, my son's my son's fourteen. He's at this point, there's no real interest or yeah. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, so audio book coming out. Did you narrate it yourself? Or I didn't. No, no, they hired a professional in the company to do it. Um, so yeah, it's, the word was it comes out in July, and yeah, to be honest with you, I don't know if. I'm happy that they chose a professional to do it. Probably come out better in the end. Who yeah. knows, you know? Um, yeah. And listening this way, I can listen to it. I can't listen to myself or watch myself. I have a hard time with that. So this way I'll get to at least listen to the audiobook. <laughs> Cause if it was me, I wouldn't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, have you, have you actually sat back and like read your book? Like since it's been out, because for me, when I was, when I was writing one soldier, like I went back and redid that book so many times. Oh. Exactly. I, I haven't even read it from, from front to back uh, since it came, came out. I just can't no, look at it again. You're right. Um, since it was published, I can't say that I've, I've read it. Um, you know, obviously I worked on it and then I hired this, that lady, Janet, we worked on it together for almost two years. And then I spent a year just myself with Wolf and Laurier editing. So that was three years of, well, and the writing and then just editing was almost three years. So no, but uh, before I did the, uh, the Jocko Willink podcast, which was my first introduction to the podcast. It was a bit of a, you know, it was a little intimidating going in to that. So the night before I was going through the book, just reviewing, you know, and I found a, a good typo. I don't know if you noticed it at the end, it's uh, D-Day 1994. Nobody. No, nobody, I, I just read that part too. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody picks up on it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's been fixed, but it's still on the yeah, but it's yeah, June sixth, nineteen ninety four, D Day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but yeah, no, I haven't read it. I haven't read it straight through. Yeah. It's, uh, I know. Well, it's it. funny. Funny you mentioned Jocko because that's the the first uh, I heard of you is uh, watching. I, I I saw your podcast on YouTube. You and Jocko talking about the book. So that hey, that's a big 
that's a big deal. I mean, he's, his audience is huge. So it's definitely yeah, no, it was, uh, sales. it was a good opportunity. It was, yeah, as I said, it was a bit intimidating. Your first kind of, and four hours of talking, I don't talk four hours for, you know, at least a couple months. That's a lot of talking. So <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was sucking back his power drinks to keep me, uh, to keep yeah, me going. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> But he's good at what he does, so it's all good. Oh, we he's got a her. pro, yeah. We got her done, yeah. Sweet, man. At the end of the book, you, uh, you go, you, you've left the Legion at this point in time, and yeah. uh, you go on this, I guess you could call it a pilgrimage, to yeah. uh, the military cemeteries in Europe. Yep. And, uh, and you go to, to Dien Bien Phu in yep, Vietnam, correct. which is, uh, well, that, that's hallowed ground for the Legion, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's where our, our regiment, the rep, was decimated there. Um, and yeah, that was the end of the, the war for the French in Indochina, present day of Vietnam. And yeah, for me, it was just, it was neat to kind of go see the land. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, I went and saw some of the museums there, which was, you know, typically we, as soldiers, were always in the museums that are, were the, the, the winners, right? Yeah. And it was interesting to go and see the winners who are not the military that you were part of their museums and some of the pictures and some of the artifacts, like seeing uh, green berets from the guys from the soldiers and the rep. And then some of the pictures it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting, but um, at the end of the day, respect to the legionnaires that were there and jumped in to help their comrades. And that for me was always something that I was interested in. And that's what was the draw to the legion for me was um, I had seen pictures, black and white pictures of, legionnaires jumping in at DMM food to help their their comrades that were basically you know in the shit excuse my french and i always found that um intriguing um yeah well you know it must I mean? have been, that's yeah that's it must right. have just been so surreal to to go there and walk that land no no 100 percent. and then uh you know i found that old uh um the old because they had built bunkers around the valley and they're all named after the colonel that was leading the french forces in uh DMF food supposedly they're all named after his mistresses. So I went and fought, I found Beatrice, which was the first stronghold that was uh, overrun by the Viet Minh and uh, all a hundred legionnaires were, were killed. And the last message that came over the radio was alles tot, which is German for everyone's dead. So it would have been a German legionnaire, you know? So I went, found that and it was just, yeah, it was, uh, you know, just me paying my respects. And then as you read in the book later on, I found out that my grandfather had been there as a two IC for um, the precursor to the UN, the League of Nations, they had gone in and they were there to oversee the gra gradual withdrawal of the French forces to the, uh, to Ho Chi, Ho Chi Minh, you know, to the, uh, the communists. And uh, I never knew that until after my time in the Legion, when we discussed it and I was just blown away by that. And no, I don't know if it, it meant anything, but it was interesting to me that, you know, in my DNA, someone had been to the MM Fu, you know, a, a, matter of days after the uh the fall of the french the bodies were yeah. still stacked up and then the pictures drew me to that and then i went so it was just i found it an interesting coincidence the whole yeah connection yeah well i think that conversation you have with uh, your grandpa your grandfather is something that like a lot of people can relate to um you know especially for those of us who have had a, a grandfather in yeah. in the war or in a military conflict and yeah. uh you know i, I think that you you, you mentioned in the book how you wanted to talk to your grandfather because he was a hero. He was, he was a role model yep. to you. That's it. right behind me. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Fitting, and fitting moment. There you go. Appreciate it. You never had that chance to really have that discussion. And I, that 
that's like very relatable to me. Like I had a grandfather who was in the war, second yeah. world war. And yeah. uh, just whether it's like you're too young to talk about it at the time or there's a better time to do it. And then all of a sudden that moment just passes and you, you can't yeah. talk to that person anymore. So that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. If I could, I, the questions I could ask now, you know, my, my dad's dad was uh, third wave Juno beach and uh, you know, both my grand, I was fortunate, both my grandparents, you know, obviously served uh, second world war. Um, but they were great, great grandfathers. They were laid back, friendly, um, considering what they went through, I was always just blown as an older man. Now I just think shit, you know, the, the experience that they had, they, they would have, would have had every excuse to be a grumpy drunk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but they weren't there more than, so yeah, unfortunately I didn't ask enough questions. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as you said, you know, my mom's dad who retired two star DSO actually had the medal pinned on him by Montgomery on the battlefield and then went to, uh, Buckingham palace to get the medal from the King at the time. He, um, yeah, as he said, he would talk to me at the end of his days a little more about certain stuff. I think he felt that, you know, because I had experienced a little bit of combat, by no means anything he had, at least I could understand what we're talking about. You know what I mean? I think a lot of veterans, unless you've been there, they don't, not waste their time, but there's no point because you, can, you can't really grasp the, the reality of what we're, we're talking about. And then uh, I just remember being with my dad's dad. We were, I was home on leave, actually, and we were on a boat in Victoria. And he, he said to me after, at the end, well, about halfway through the, the trip, he said, you can talk, you know, because <laughs> I was just, you know, a legionnaire amongst seniors and you don't say shit. Right. So I always thought that that, that sticks in my mind that he was like, you know, you can talk, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I wish I had, I wish I had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so much of your identity gets interwoven into, into that role, into that uniform. Yep. And when you take off that uniform for the last time, what are the, the feelings that are going, going through your mind there knowing that you're not going to wear it again and that's like a, you're, you're moving on to something else? Yeah, well, I guess it was, you know, thinking back and I try to, I think I try to portray that in the book is mixed emotions, but I was just focused on the next objective, you know. Um, your your future's not certain. You've, you've, you've ended one chapter, but now you're trying to build the next one. So I didn't really reflect on it too much. Um, I was just more focused on, I was going to flight school, so I was just trying to get my head around that, back into the city world, back to Canada. So I, I had a lot to focus on and not really, you know, think too much. But um, I think as you get, you get older, and then uh, certainly, you know, the process of writing, is a, you, you would have experienced too, is you kind of start to reflect and see your past differently or take a lot of um, fondness from it or memories, and, and you're, you know, you're respectful of the fact of something that you experienced and you took at times that for granted, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the writing process too, for veterans is uh, it, it can almost be sort of a, like the, the information dump can be a bit of a relief. Yeah. It's like therapy at sorts. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I had uh, Tom Satterley who was uh, on our podcast or the other, the other day, he is a, um, he was Delta Black Hawk down uh, veteran and he wrote the book all secure uh, and he suffered, you know, and yeah, I, I asked him exactly that, you know, was it, in the writing process for you, was it a somewhat of a, you know, a therapy therapeutic type? And yeah, you agreed. It's you, you kind of go back to memories and talk about things and just let it, let it come out. You know, um, I think it has to be that way because when you sit down to write the book, you, you really have no idea if anybody beyond yourself is going to be reading this thing. Oh no. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was, 
you know, in the, my grandfather, when we were talking about what he said to me, Joel, when I just got back, cause he was writing his memoirs and he hadn't kept a war a journal during the war. So he was trying to mix match information together. And he said, Joel, if I have any advice for you, just write down your memories now. Cause if you don't, you'll regret it. So I took his advice luckily. And I just, you know, it was 150,000 words of verbal diarrhea, no respect for the, the English language, all that kind of stuff. And it sat for, it sat for 10 years. So I was lucky that I had, you know, that, and then I could work from it. But yeah, no, it was, um, and then obviously in the editing process, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I went for you guys, but the lady I worked with, she'd say, that's fine, but you gotta, I need more, you know, you gotta tell me more about this or what. And then, so then you start looking into yourself and, and then, uh, yeah. And also something I found too, on the writing process is the story is period. So when you're editing and, and, and working on it as an, an older individual with a little more life experience and maturity, you can't change the idiot that you were when you were 21. You know what I mean? And it's hard. You want to, you, and I get it. You know, you kind of want to change the narrative so you don't look too, too bad, but uh, no, at the end of the day, you're just an idiot. So you got to stick with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think every author is faced with that. Like you're going to come to a point in the book where it's like, well, do I really want to include this? Um, And like this discussion me and my brother had was when we sat down to write one soldier, it was, well, if we're going to do this, let's, let's like and just include everything let's not sugarcoat the yeah. truth and yeah uh yeah. And, you know wise, maybe later wise on choice. Life, yeah yeah wise choice and people get like people read into that right away right if you start a book and it's just like this doesn't sound like a human being you lose you do lose interest but if it if you get that imperfect specimen where they're making mistakes but they're you're like yeah hey, that's that sounds right yeah because right? we're all yeah fuck we're all you, you don't want to read a book by a robot and uh no exactly um yeah so anyway yeah no, uh, yeah, I, I've, I'm into your book. I'm not finished yet, but uh, yeah, no, good, hey, man. Uh, nice, nice effort. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see, yeah. same with you. What when you're uh, when you're not writing, you're are you still jumping? No, no, no. I um I don't. I I think I jumped once after in Abbotsford. I live in uh, Aldergrove here. Um, but it was yeah, it just wasn't the same. I uh, I have two kids. I fly helicopters commercially. Um, so between work you know, trying to be a dad, that's always a, a struggle. Well, um, yeah. in the, you know, the efforts there, but maybe not always <laughs> that, but, um, and then, yeah, I'm partners in a risk mitigation firm, uh, Ravenhill, and we support, uh, efforts here domestically. It's actually two, two of the other two partners are from, from the Legion. Um, and then, uh, yeah, recently I started Legion engineered, which was the effort, you know, just for PTSD awareness, and then, yeah, the book, you know, the proceeds that come to me, which is, you know, very limited. I know also. Go, yeah, goes to that effort. And then, uh, yeah, recently we started the, uh, the System D podcast, which is part of the same effort. But if anything, it's, it's a means for me to, to actually reach out and talk to people that I would like to ask questions and learn, learn things about. So that's, that's been keeping me busy to date, to be honest with you. So speaking of uh, talking to people who have wisdom to, to pass on, you know, I, I think, you know, wisdom is usually given by like, you know, older people who are like maybe yeah. grandparents and, you know, a big, big white beard and they've, they've been around for a while. Yeah. You, you don't fit that description, but uh, <laughs> what, getting, what are, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> what, what are some things that, that you personally took from the Legion that you can apply to your civilian life to, just to make you a better person and a more like maybe, uh, you know, better at what you do in the civilian world? Um, yeah, that's a good question. You obviously learn 
a lot about yourself in the military as a young man. Uh, and it's not necessarily always good, right? Um, we see things, traits in ourselves that we're not necessarily happy with and we want to fix. And that's what life is. You're, you're always learning about yourself, but you're, I think as you get later on, you, you're a little better at certain things, but you're always working on it. Um, and then I might steal a wordage from Tom there, uh, Sarah. He said, the demons of doubt, which I thought was a great, a great simple terminology is, and that's something I see it myself and I try to show my son that too, is that some, that's a very human trait is not, unfortunately, some people are luckier than others, but that not believing in yourself, that the demons of doubt, but don't just go after it, try. And it's, you know, it's better to, to try and fail than not, not try. So I, you know, for myself, I, you know, I don't, I'm not one to give advice to others because I'm, you know, I'm by no means a, an authority, but just for myself, that's something I, I've learned over the years. Just, you, you just got to give it your all and try. And if, if you don't succeed, well, I mean, at least you tried. Um, but typically I think out there, if you work hard enough and go after something, if you want it, you'll get there. And we kind of made reference to that before is that, you know, being naive in life sometimes has helped me because I, there wasn't the people saying beside me, no, you can't, you can't, you know, write a book. You can't, it just won't happen. Right. If you listen to them, well, you won't, but, uh, don't listen to them. If you want something, just go after it. Yeah. Unless, well, I, unless it's illegal, unless it's uh, money in the bank or something. But you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a pretty good uh, – yeah. that might be a pretty good place to leave off. But before, before I let you go, you want to mention a little bit more about uh, Legion Engineered? Sure, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. So uh, the website's www.legionengineer.com. It's you know, predominantly an apparel-type effort, but all the proceeds go to um, PTSD awareness. Uh, same with the book Appel, you know, my author royalties go to help the cause. And yeah, that's just, uh, I, there, I don't know enough about it. I'm learning more about it, but the more I read and hear about young soldiers, men and women that we, any country sends to do their, to do the work is, um, yeah, something that could use the support of everyone. And, uh, yeah, so that's my effort to learn about it. And, uh, yeah, there you go. Some sums up that effort. If you could help us get the word out, represent is the word we kind of use. Yeah, would, well, yeah, I'd love to. I, mean, the, I would love to, man, because the, uh, yeah, you've got some sick gear on there. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then the side effort, as I mentioned, you know, the System D podcast, which is kind of terminology taken out of the book. System D is that Legion term for just figure shit out. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, just getting people on there that might have some life skills or stories, lessons to share that, uh, you know, I might, I find interesting. So yeah, there you go. Right on, man. Well, the book is called Appel, a Canadian in the French Foreign Legion. Like I said before, highly recommended. It's an awesome read. And uh, any other uh, writing plans in the future or is, or is this it? No, no, I think that's uh, maybe a pop-up coloring book. That would be about the limit <laughs> of my, <laughs> I think I stole that from Andy Stumpf. Anyway, yeah, no, uh, I think that was a one-time, one-time effort. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, that coloring book, hey, you never know. Uh, that, that, that could be the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> Less Joel, editing, that's for sure. Uh, Joel, it's been uh, a complete honor on my behalf to, to have you on. So thanks a lot for taking the time to, to be here and, and hopefully we can talk again. My, I, know, I appreciate it and yeah, vice versa. Um, and congratulations on your efforts too, the book. And uh, yeah, send your, uh, my regards to your brother. Will do, man. Okay, appreciate it. And that concludes my interview with Joel Struthers, former member of the French Foreign Legion and author of Appel, a Canadian 
in the French Foreign Legion. This is a fantastic book that I recommend, especially for any aspiring soldier who has thought about wearing the white kepi. Be sure to check out Joel's website at www.legionengineer.com for his podcast and apparel and gear. The proceeds which go towards PTSD awareness. He's got some rad hoodies and shirts, which I'm going to get my hands on, but check it out for yourself and you'll see what I mean. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, then you can support the podcast by leaving a review on Apple iTunes, you can subscribe, and also help spread the word with your friends and family. Hey, you can also help out by getting your own copy of my book, One Soldier, and the Pawns of War. That's it for this episode, which on this Father's Day 2020, I'm going to dedicate to all the dads and grandfathers who saw their fair share of war and who maybe we never got a chance to speak to and talk to as much as we probably should and probably wanted to. That's it. That's all. Out.